welcome to Psycho. It's the podcast for the psychology department here at Edinburgh University. Uh, my name's John Barnes. I'm a senior lecturer here and I'm joined today by Moritz Gubler from the University for Teacher Training in Bern, Switzerland uh, and from Bern University itself as well. And we're going to talk about educating climate change. Exactly. Or um, how can we use climate change and the proximity to climate change in order to use it as a educational strategy to engage climate action among adolescents? And that's kind of my PhD project. Yeah. And it's a joint venture between the University of Bern, where I'm at the climatology group, and then also uh, of the University for Teacher Training okay. in the canton of Bern. And I can't help but do this, but you've got a bit of an interesting background. I indeed have. So I'm actually not coming from psychology nope. um, at all. I started with a bachelor in geography at the University of Zurich. Mm -hmm. Then I got more and more interested in the atmosphere and uh, climate as a whole topic. So mm -hmm. I did a master's in climate sciences at the University of Bern, which is kind of one of the hotspots or competence center for climate climate change studies and so on. After my bachelor's, I got a job as a weather forecaster. So for uh, different private TV, radio stations, we wrote newspaper, um, weather forecasts and mm. so on. And um, that's actually where I realized that how difficult on one hand it is to communicate abstract phenomena such as climate or weather of the next day even um, to an unknown public mm. or the general public but also on the other side how much I like it to do it and um, so that's actually then when I decided to go further into um, communicating and educating people about okay. weather and climate. So you were literally the guy on TV Exactly, yes. Getting the weather wrong. Yes, yeah. getting it wrong or at least pretend to do it right. Okay, so you thought, okay, I'll go and do some research and try to improve the accuracy here. Okay, so um, started there on TV and now you're looking at how to educate people. And you're doing a PhD right now. Yes, I'm doing a PhD. I'm about uh, midway at the moment, so halfway through. Um, I'm in my third year. And I'm also teaching um, geography at high schools uh, mm -hmm. from time to time. And um, actually, it's funny because um, there were some studies that um, were stating that based on empirical results that the most trusted communicators for science are indeed weather forecasters and uh, really? teachers. Really? Yes. Okay. I would not have picked that at all. That's a very counterintuitive <laughs> yes, result. Especially right there. when it comes to climate change, that those are the most trusted messengers. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so just quickly, uh, how did you end up here visiting us? So you're here for how long? Yes, I'm here for about two months, mm -hmm. um, so there's still one month to go, and um, that's because um, Maria Oyala, who is among the very few people in Europe really working with young people and climate mm. change uh, specifically, um, is here, and I read about her studies and about her work, mm -hmm. and um, I had the opportunity to go somewhere for a couple of weeks throughout my PhD, and so I thought, yeah, why not to go to Sweden and try to, yeah, get some more insights about psychology and what young people think, how they act about it, and so on, because, mm. yeah, I'm coming from the natural science perspective, yeah. and uh, the whole social scientific world was uh, kind of new to me. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there was a perfect opportunity to do so. And that's brought you here. Okay, so what is it you're doing uh, just right now? 
So right now, actually, in my um, PhD, I'm trying to see what happens if you approach climate change to young people. So there have been various um, studies among the general public, for instance, um, that found that climate change is perceived as something that is very abstract mm. and distant. Yeah, okay. For instance, um, let's take the example of climate change. Um, no. Let's take the example of uh, CO2. Mm -hmm. yep. So CO2 is a odorless, invisible gas that's all around us. We don't smell it, but we're all um, in there. It's all around us. And um, this should be the main cause now for the biggest threat or one of the biggest threats to society of this century and also how climate change is communicated in many um, in many different formats. So if you imagine those graphs of the mean global temperature um, until the end of the century. The sort of things that Al Gore was presenting in his exactly. document, famous documentary. Yeah. Exactly. So you have like uh, different different model projections or different scenarios reaching from 1.5 degrees Celsius up to mm. 4.5 degrees Celsius um, by the end of the century. And if you confront people with those graphs, it's hard to imagine um, what will the consequences be for you yourself, mm. for, for a person, because I guess none of us two uh, will be living until 2100 uh, in 100 years. So our mind is not made, the human mind is not made for um, making decisions that go beyond a couple of yeah. days or uh, weeks. Yeah. Um, we're made for uh, ultimate cause effect um, cause-effect relationships and also when it comes to for instance global average temperature this is a temperature that will never be felt and has never been felt by a human being it's mm. a construct of different measurements being averaged from all over the world uh, from different climate zones and so on so it's global mean average that is hard to feel so nobody will ever feel it and also the huge uncertainty be behind those 1.5 degrees celsius and 4.5 degrees uh, degrees Celsius. So, what does it mean for us uh, personally? Or so, for example, what does it mean for me if it's one degree warmer or two degrees warmer? Exactly. And then, obviously, depending on where you live, that's two very different things. Exactly. Uh, being in Sweden, I could imagine one or two degrees warmer might be quite nice a lot of the year round. Of uh, course. Where I come from originally in Australia. No, that's not nice. We don't need it any warmer. So of course, yeah. So it's very individual and subjective um, how you kind of uh, respond respond to these uh, communications. And um, so yeah, but let me maybe take another example. Um, you might know those pictures from people of the drowning islands of Kiribati <coughs> in the South Pacific. Mm. So if you confront young people um, with those pictures and or if you try to educate them about the impacts of climate change by using examples that are from far away because they're mm. already feeling the effects right now, mm -hmm. then it's hard to, for them to be kind of emotionally uh, attached to those people on this image, for instance, um, or then um, to be yeah emotionally detached. They know this kind of um, landscapes, maybe from the holiday, but um, except for that, they don't have any emotional connection to that don't really places. relate to it individually exactly. yeah exactly and that's mm. kind of the the idea behind those psychological barriers when it comes to this gap between knowledge and action because most probably young people of today's generations are the 
best educated um, generation ever about mm. climate change. But on the other side, for instance, in Switzerland, um, it's exactly this age group um, between 18 and 24 that travels by plane the most okay. from the whole society, from the whole general public. So we have a huge gap between the knowledge that is there and also the concern about it and then the actual behavior. And, and my assumption here is that traveling by plane, you're mentioning that because it has a very marked impact upon the environment. It is most probably the most efficient way to emit CO2 within a short amount of time okay. for an individual um, who's so, not working in the coal industry. or So something. if I want to accelerate climate change individually, I should just start flying all over the world? Yes, that's the, best that's way I can do the okay. most efficient way, especially uh, for short distances. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we have this gap between action and knowledge and um, it kind of, yeah, it in, it's of my deepest interest to see, um, to gain deeper insights into this relationship and how we can in an educational context also um, maybe motivate young people to really do something about it and see what educational strategies might be useful. And mm. there have been various attempts um, in social psychology and communicational sciences in order to reduce this distance, this psychological distance, it is called, mm -hmm. um, to climate change. And if you imagine, there are several dimensions of this distance. So there is a spatial distance. So, so physically, how? Exactly. Yeah, okay. So climate change is not happening here. Mm. There is a um, temporal distance, so climate change is not happening now. It's happening somewhere mm -hmm. in the future and has maybe happened um, after the last ice age, a couple of thousands mm. of years ago. And then there is also the social similarity um, dimension. So it does not happen to people that are like me, like uh, the example from the Kiribati Islands. So yeah. climate change is affecting people that live far away, that behave differently, um, act differently as me and so on. And overall, it's not entirely sure how um, big those impacts will be in the end. So mm. there is also this hypothetical dimension. And um, those four dimensions of perceived psychological distance to climate change have been um, discovered at least among um, nations in the Western and, uh, let's say, more rich world. Mm. Um, but there is there are many things unknown, especially when it comes to young people. And as we have seen in the last couple of weeks and months, that young people can have a significant and deep impact, not only on politicians, but also like on the whole uh, society, mm. how they think about it. Like if you think of all the media releases and articles in the newspaper about the Fridays for Future um, movement, about Greta Thunberg and so on. Mm. So um, this uh, group of the general public has for a long time been understudied when it comes to um, communication of climate change. And um, so there have been various attempts among the general public, among the adults, to kind of reduce this psychological distance. And For this particular group, or in general, I guess. In general, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> so they took like a sample, um, yeah just mm. from the general public and they wanted to see what happens if we bring um, climate change closer to them. It's, for instance, by um, presenting them a text or a picture about local and mm. global climate change and see whether their reactions are different, whether they are more concerned about one picture or one story than about the other, and also if they are then more willing to do something about okay. it in the end. I'm just remembering... Um from my own childhood, probably the earliest messages I can remember about climate change was about a hole in the ozone layer. 
Exactly. Which was sitting above my country. Yes. So I remember that being something that we were very well aware of. And when you Mm -hmm. talk about distance, that was obviously spatially, literally on top of us. Exactly. Temporally happening to us right there and then. Um, I guess the probability was uh, a bit unlikely, but that was, I can, thinking back now, I can see how that was probably something that was very easy to communicate with Mm -hmm. the the community Mm -hmm. because it was Mm -hmm. very, very close (laughs) in all those ways. Definitely. So Mm -hmm. things that are um, kind of um, close to us are represented in our brain as something that is um, very um, detailed. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, there is a famous painting um, called The View of the Man from the Ninth Avenue uh, in New York of Mr. Steinberg. And um, so you see in front, you see a very detailed... um, picture about uh, the the Ninth Avenue of New York, so with the cars and um, with the stores and even some people walking Mm. around there. So it's really detailed what is psychologically close to us. But as further as we go um, to to a more distant future or thought, um, if we think, for instance, if this man from the Ninth Avenue thought of um, the West Coast of the US or then even Japan, Mm. things are getting very abstract and very um, kind of structured. Yeah. I guess we would probably, one other way of describing that would be relying much more upon schema. Exactly. So, so. there's things that are in close proximity who have yes. much more maybe realistic or real-time representation, exactly. but things exactly. that are further away we rely much more upon yeah. schema memory or yeah. schema representation. Yeah. Mm. This schematic you kind yeah. of um, you have then. And so this led to a number of studies that tried uh, to reduce this psychological distance, see what happens. And there we, or... Uh, research has identified mixed effects um, because like behaviorally tensions when it comes to um, environmental beha- environmentally friendly mm. behavior um, are not only um, depending on the risk perception or level of concern about it. It's all about values. It's also about uh, worldviews, political identities mm. and so on. So uh, depending on which um, kind of target group um, you are your community communicating to um these effects might be might be different so Mm. they saw for instance that people with a very ideologic and um self-transcendent uh value orientation are actually more prone to to react to a framing that is more global because they care about people in other societies and so on and so a more liberal thinking might be more prone to communicating is as a global threat to whole humanity Mm. but if you're more conservative then for instance you care more about your um like really close surroundings about your country for instance and um so then you might be more prone to um to a more local framing of climate change and is that is that something that's actually shown in data that you get yes. that difference between liberalism and conservatism? Yes. And I'm just yes. reacting to that because I'm aware that conservatism has a fairly strong genetic component. All right. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It might be interesting. Hmm. But also, I mean, there has been this study just quite lately um, in Nature Climate Change um, where they investigated what happens if you teach young people or children at school about climate change Mm. and then um, if they have to communicate with the parents about what they learned in school one um, could see that actually one could measure that um, parents are getting more concerned about it just by um, talking to the children so that kind of um, the the knowledge that has been presented in school was mediated um, through the kids to the parents and made them more concerned about it and this kind of highlights the 
yeah, the high... How should I say this? This highlights the significance of young people and children yeah. um, when it comes to to communicate climate change, for instance, or yeah. uh, environmental problems. And um, this is actually also um, one of the reasons why I'm doing this study because all this um, risk perception and psychological distance variations has never been tested among okay. young people. So this was only um, done for people or with people between 18 and 80. Yes, okay. and uh, that's actually the main reason why I tried to, um, yeah, approach, approach this question, mm. and to do that uh, in more detail, I started um, with an investigation of the students' perceptions of this uh, psychological distance. So we have in geographical education, at mm. least in the German context, we have um, this. We call it the. Di tactical reconstruction um, triangle mm -hmm. so where you have on one hand the students conceptions perspectives on a certain issue for mm -hmm. instance climate change or local impacts of climate change then you have the scientific um, view and perspective mm -hmm. and according to this triangle you always need to do um, to iteratively match the students' conceptions and the scientific views in order to create effective learning materials. So okay. it's a very constructive um, perspective on learning, um, which is coming from the individual. And you always kind of need to match um, the, the view of the students, what they bring into a educational context, what they bring into the classroom and try to match it with the scientific view. And also if there are misconceptions, you before you talked about the ozone hole and how mm. you connect it to climate change. And this is maybe the most famous uh, misconception about climate change that ozone hole has anything to do with yeah. it because that's, yeah, to a very, very small amount, that's the case um, there. But mm. these are two different environmental problems between mm. the ozone hole and uh, climate change. And there, this is like the most famous misconception mm -hmm. about climate change, for instance, that okay. most people hold because they think, yeah, through this ozone hole, there might be more energy coming in and might be ozone depletion was because of CO2 and so on. So yeah, okay. these kind of conceptions you need to, yeah, you need to meet before you create learning materials, you know. So, so you're, you're kind of saying that the scientific position on what's going on needs to kind of match with the perceptions of exactly uh, these young people but also the other way around so exactly i'm guessing that you're not just saying that you need to correct the perceptions of not at all you not actually all. need to fit uh, the information or yep. the education to yeah yeah the way that they're thinking you kind of need to um yeah find a way how you can um reach a conceptual change or a conceptual development and uh, not only to correct their um wrong conceptions mm. but to take them as a starting point yeah okay. uh, really a starting point for deeper learning and that's then from coming from the individual and uh, kind of then yeah leads to a deeper learning and effective learning and applied mm. to my case so about local impacts of climate change i did this first study which um kind of um, investigates what are the perceptions of young people about this distance. So how mm -hmm. far do they perceive climate change to happen? So I did a pencil paper questionnaire um, among about 580 students um, at the age between 14 and 17. So middle adolescence. Mm -hmm. 
And this was in October and November last year. Um, it was quite a long survey, so I assessed beyond the different psychological distance dimension, concern about climate change, perceived self-efficacy, um, like their spontaneous thoughts about climate change and so on. So a pretty um, yeah, long questionnaire I presented them. And then I am now trying to match those perceptions, um, which about the results I will talk later mm -hmm. on. Um, I try to match them with the scientific view and the scientific view comes kind of um, from my background um, mm -hmm. in climatology. So I'm also doing a urban climate study in the city of Bern um, because it's a well-known phenomena that in the central parts of the city, it's usually warmer than in the surroundings. and. Um, more than 50% uh, percent of all people in the world are already living in city, which is um, projected to increase uh, by the mid of the century to about 65%. So that difference was across urban different cities, not just Bern? No, like so this, this was um, the study I did was uh, really just in Bern, yep. uh, but there have been, it has been like this urban heat island effect, we call it, okay. um, has been discovered in London about 200 years ago. Okay. Um, so, um, this is a well-known phenomenon, but mm -hmm. each city is kind of different. For, in, different. for instance, um, Bern has a very complex topography with a river that is flowing around the city with a deep valley and so on. And because, um, let's take the example of during nighttime, during daytime, we can escape the heat. So for instance, we measured in the central parts of the city compared to the surroundings, we measured temperature differences at average during the nights of about four degrees mm -hmm. at maximum. So if you're now having a climate projection um, that says for a station outside the city and most climate projections are actually climate models are not taking into account this urban heat island okay, effect. Yep. So if you have a certain projection for about 20 degrees um, minimum temperatures throughout summer in the year of so and so um, then this effect adds to these climate projections okay, and yeah. um, given that many old and vulnerable people are actually living in cities um, this makes it very important to find out which places are especially hot or warm during nights because during the night we cannot escape and is there much difference within a city as well, yeah. There is. So yes. Yeah. Okay. For instance, between parks and um, uh, city, city forests and also between, we call it blue infrastructure. So if there are small ponds of water and so on, um, this makes a huge difference. Okay. And, uh, so there is, there are several things you can do about this urban okay. heat island and it's important to know where you could do what and to also calibrate the models with high quality data. Mm. And, and you can, and you're mapping this with exactly. the Exactly. exactly, a heat yep. map to see where the yes. hotspots are. Yes, yeah. where the hotspots are, and we did that last summer, mm -hmm. and last summer was also here in Sweden, um, in extremely hot and dry, so it was... It uh, was very nice here last summer. It was for many people as well. Very Coming from nice, a warm climate, this course. was very nice. Yeah. Of course, and uh, I would also, I would admit that <laughs> I, I also enjoyed last summer mm. very much uh, in many times, but it also makes you concerned about if this happens every second year um, in about 50 years, and that's what it's projected to be, actually. I think there was actually a drought here last year. Yes. In summer. Yeah, yeah it was mm. a huge drought. We had like forest fires in Sweden and mm. so on. Um, it was in some places the driest 
longest uh, half year or summer half year in Switzerland um, ever measured and mm -hmm. so on. So we had have an example of present climate change because it has been proven in studies now um, in detection and attribution mm -hmm. um, studies that last summer was indeed influenced, um, significantly influenced by anthropogenic um, greenhouse gas emissions. And that human caused exactly right so that's in other words that human caused last summer and um so we have an example of temperatures in a city induced by climate change extreme mm. temperatures um, which happened already at a local place and i will use this data to then create a learning material to educate um, young people about one group will be educated about climate change in the city, mm. urban heat uh, in Bern in last summer. Mm. And the control group um, will be then educated about climate change in the city of Singapore in the far future. So okay. by the year of 2100. And this will be then kind of the main part of my um, PhD, this intervention okay. study, where I will create two different sets of um, learning material, one based on psychologically very close yeah. impacts of climate change and one about uh, psychologically very distant impacts yeah. of climate change. So yeah, I um, would like to maybe tell you a little bit more how young people perceive this climate yeah. change impacts. And um, so we did this first study. Um, this uh, survey among young people scattered over different um, socioeconomic environments. So we have, for instance, we did it in the sta state of Bern, which is stretching from very alpine environments to really um, the city of Bern. So mm -hmm. urban environments also throughout the countryside and so on. And um, we wanted to see how these perceptions differ with regard to different environments. Mm -hmm. So um, we asked many young people in schools about it and we saw that indeed climate change impacts are um, perceived as something that is very distant when it comes to space so geographical distance okay, so yeah. that climate change is perceived as something happening somewhere else somewhere else yeah. instead of um, the place where they live so for instance we had uh, more than or almost 75 percent of disagreement on the statement um, which was first thoughts about the impacts of climate change are about the area where i live Mm -hmm. So, um, so 75% of the students disagreed with this statement, showing that, yeah, climate change might be really perceived as something. So they're like thinking about that South Pacific island that's going for underwater. Instance, yeah. For instance, or about the polar bears um, in the Arctic. Yeah. So um, that's not where they live or they cut up something of a hurricane somewhere in the, yeah, in the Gulf of Mexico mm. or, and so on. And um, we saw the same actually for the social distance, so that also climate change is perceived as something that happens to people that are not like them. Mm -hmm. And of course, those two dimensions, the social distance and spatial distance are somehow correlated yeah. to each other mm -hmm. because people that are, live far away are most probably or in many cases different from oneself. Um, but things are different when we look into um, the hypothetical distance dimension and also in the temporal distance dimension. There we saw that young people, and this is somehow differing um, from the adult population, that young people are perceiving climate change as something that happens now and that certainly happens. For instance, we had, um, um, so 
we know from literature and past studies um, that climate skepticism is rather low among young mm. people, and that's actually also what we saw uh, in our in our survey. Um, for instance, there is more than more than eighty percent uh, of agreement on the statement that I am certain that climate change is happening, and also that it's already happening now. So that's a major majority. Exactly. Yeah. So that's really uh, the majority of young people thinks that climate change is happening now and it's certainly happening. And that's already encouraging uh, when it comes to yeah realizing what climate change, that it is a reality. And that's actually what's also been uh, in the media, for instance. So these young people have been growing up maybe as the first generation with climate change being a reality around them and being communicated in media articles mm. and so on, TV shows. Uh, um, is, that re frequent. is that remaining 20%? Do, do you know whether they disagree or they don't know? Um, actually, there is uh, among those remaining 20%, there is about 15% that um, choose, chose the n neutral answer. So okay. neither agree or disagree, nor disagree. And only about, uh, I would say, 5 to 7% um, are disagreeing. Okay, so you would say a very small percentage are not that you would attribute this label to people that age, but are climate science deniers. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And still, you don't know, this is so we assessed uncertainty. So mm. it's not, it does not have to be um, kind of climate change skepticism. Okay. It might also be that, I mean, in some classes when I did this, the survey, um, there were really people that had never heard about climate change. Okay. Yeah. So, and then you are just uncertain that it is happening if you have never heard. Or they were living under a rock or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe we don't know. <laughs> but I had to explain them. Mm. So I also I try to cover different school levels. So we have about three school level at secondary school in Switzerland, and at the lowest one where the competencies and um, yeah knowledge uh, okay. things yeah. are rather low. And what age roughly was the lower? It end? was, it was between fourteen and seventeen. So it was okay. like it's. Uh, it's separate, separated between different uh, performance levels, actually. Okay. Mm. And so, yeah, people coming from a lower socioeconomic group, for instance, they are not confronted, be yeah. it at home or in school, with uh, this, with this, with climate change as a, yeah, as a subject. And also, you must know in Switzerland we have uh, a system that after secondary school you either go to high school or then to a vocational school. Okay. And Usually during this last year of high, of secondary school where I did my survey, the focus is really on finding you a place to work okay. after school. Yeah, okay. And especially so they just don't care about other things yeah. than about finding a place yeah. where they can do, kind of go for the vocational um, yep. education Fair enough. in the end. Yeah. So yeah, that's mainly what we found. Um, so there is a dependence on what dimension on psychological distance um, you're looking at. Mm. And then we also wanted to know, but does this translate into concern about climate change or worry about climate change? And there we found that indeed, among different factors, for instance, values and attitudes, um, self-reported knowledge, or then socio-demographic variables such as gender or school type, um, we saw that psychological distance is indeed um, explaining most of the variance and most of the concern about climate change, mm. about 44%, and is kind of negatively correlated to concern about climate change. This means that the more you perceive climate change to happen far away and not now and not at all, maybe, 
the less you are concerned about climate change mm. and vice versa if you have a very um a very close perception of climate change being right now happening with me for instance during last summer the more you're concerned about it mm. and um other factors that are related to are, for instance, idealistic, um, self-transcendent uh, values, or then also uh, positive attitudes towards nature, which is mm. not new, for, of course. Yep. And also self-reported knowledge. So the more you know about it, the more you're concerned about it. And also female um, female students were more concerned mm. about it. But this is also something new from various studies. But what you're saying here is that there's a there's a range of things that impact upon. Uh, someone's overall attitude but the major part of this is this perception of distance exactly so from all the from all the factors we measured uh, psychological distance was indeed the factor that was um, explaining most and had the 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 biggest effect on Mm. uh, their level of concern and Mm. this kind of um, yeah says that the more you frame climate change as something happening here now and to people like me and Mm. also to certainly happen the more young people are concerned about it and this kind of is then the way to go for the intervention so we tried to so we will try to exactly reduce this psychological distance so this was no intervention this was only based on the perceptions Mm. of them and then we will see what happens if you really reduce this uh, distance actively. And of course, also, it's not only about climate change concern or worries about climate mm. change. Other emotions um, matter a lot as well. For instance, if you have positive emotions about it. So, mm. for instance, the emotion of hope or um, high perception of self-efficacy. So those are positive emotions that kind of also um, help you to to really get motivated to do something mm. about it. And what does place identity, for instance, influence and to what extent uh, knowledge has an influence mm. and also moral beliefs. So is it just that um, older generations left us with this problem or is it just, uh, is this, um, yeah, you have this intergenerational justice or then also the inter international the geographical um, mm. and social cultural justice so is it just that um, people in the rich world which are the main contributors to climate change are the ones that are the least suffering from it for mm. instance what does this um moral beliefs um, what role do they play and also what is the the role of the peers and the family and of group identification processes Mm. and this is then something especially interesting when it comes to uh, this climate strikes for instance to see what those factors contribute to um, climate strike um, to the motivations to go to a climate strike or Mm. then to not go and just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know these are these large protests that have been arranged around exactly, yeah. the world recently yeah. so it's called the fridays for future um movement and there have been in i think more than 50 60 countries um repeatedly demonstrations um, yeah. of young people mostly um to to kind of yeah wake up the politicians and kind of um yeah trigger them to foster them to do more about it and i guess so far what you're saying here is that one of potentially the major reasons why a person would attend a climate strike uh, event is if their perception of psychological distance from climate change is smaller. Yes, 
Yes, mm. it's shorter. So if it's really a problem for yourself um, that is harming harming your values, your future, your goals in life, then this uh, motivates you to not only do in individual um, behaviors such as switching off the light, um, not mm. taking the plane, for instance, but also to go to a collective level of action. Mm. So to go to a climate strike. And that's actually something I've been interested in as well. Um, like apart from my PhD together mm. with an environmental psychologist, we were wondering what are the motivations for going for young people to go to a strike to participate in a climate strike and also what are the motivations to not go there, mm. for instance. And um, so we did this survey among about 500 and no, 860 um, young people. It was an online survey we conducted in last February. So it was at the very early stage um, of this climate strike movement. Okay. It started off, I think, to be very popular somewhere in uh, December of last year. So by the end of the last year, it started to get lots of media attention and so on. And it really kind of um, got into um, got into movement in January mm. and February. And of course, year. this was very cleverly planned by you guys to uh, coordinate this. With yes, this. <laughs> yes. But it was also a bit stressful to set up the whole the whole survey and yeah. to kind of yeah go for um, social social action or collective action theory because we're i mean i'm coming from climatology and my colleague he's uh he's more into yeah really individual behavior and individual action um when it comes to environmental mm. problems but um we thought yeah we need to use this momentum uh to kind of yeah use the possibility to to find out more about how how to explain this social change and especially mm. when it comes to young people and also in the media there were a lot of comments about the motivations of young people yes of course they have been uh, instrumentalized by by their teachers by their parents and they just want to don't want to go to should, school exactly they <laughs> should rather go to school they should rather start picking up waste before they go protesting against something and so on and we also wanted to know like what is the real how how do these um, arguments relate really to the thinking and the perception mm. of climate strikes uh, among the young people and we saw indeed that like the most the most prominent reasons to go to a strike um, were that climate change had to be recognized as a serious crisis so this is kind of the declaration of the climate emergency mm -hmm. and that also politicians need to do more about climate change and the young people's concerns about um, the future of the environment of humankind um, as a total and also about their own future. So we had about more than 90% uh, of the participants mm. that were going to a strike stating that this reasons, these reasons were um, very too extremely important for their participation. And on the other hand, um, reasons such as I did not want to go to school or to work or I was motivated by my parents or by my teachers. They were rated as being not at all important. Mm. So more than 90% of uh, the participants rated those arguments or those statements as not at all important. Mm. So they were attending these events for the reasons that they say they're attending these events. We do not, we hope that they were uh, kind of, uh, yeah, 
that'll I, be... I guess what I mean there is that when you see media coverage of these events and somebody walks up and does some vox populi and asks someone why are you here, what's important, yeah. those are the exact messages that you hear. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that's also how we constructed this survey, kind mm. of. We wanted to see whether, yeah, those those uh, arguments you hear in the media, whether this holds true for a bigger population mm -hmm. or for the whole uh, group. But then we also, of course, were interested in the opinion or um, in the views or motivations for young people that did not go to mm. the strike. And of course, this is the, the much larger portion of the, of this uh, segment of the population. And um, there we found that more than half of the participants found it very important to not go there because of the fear of negative consequences. Um, so if they are not showing up at school or at work, that they could um, probably uh, miss an exam, an important okay. one, important lessons and so on. And also it was very important for about one third of the young people because um, that their teacher or their, or their boss advised against it. Okay. And, um, but on the other hand, a lot of participants um, rated the motivations stat, such as uh, strikes are not effective or because I'm not interested in climate change or because um, there is already sufficient engagement for climate change mm. um, as very not important. So okay. as, as very unimportant. And um, so this shows that there is no general dis disinterest that climate strikers are actually not seen as being someone completely else and we don't want to okay, have anything yeah. uh, to do with them and so on and strikes are not effective so even though these young people did not participate in the climate strikes they might think of climate change as something being very important very and mm. uh, also that climate strikes can maybe change something mm. okay that's very interesting yeah so it's really not two separate groups no, it seems like these um, these two groups are not. Yeah, they're. We try to kind of. Of course, we also then looked into the the actual um, behavior or what they pretended to behave um, or mm. what they answered. And we also saw that um, the strikers are much more engaged when it comes to climate or environmental behavior. Mm. And also they um, perceive the efficacy of themselves and of the strikes um, to be higher than, than those who go not to the strikes. But this um, kind of, yeah, it seems to be um, not just a bipolar relationship uh, between the strikers and not yeah. strikers, but also to have, yeah, to be more complex and mm. to have different levels also of collective action so mm. for instance we also um we also asked them about their most important reason so it was an open question they could write down their most important reason to not go to the strikes and there mm. we saw that many um of the young people really wrote down that they first want to change their own behavior in their everyday life before going on the streets and protest against mm. uh, climate change to yeah foster politicians to do more about it so they're kind of also perfectionists in a way mm -hmm. um, of environmental behavior. So they first want to, they don't see collective action as something, as another option um, that's on the same level as individual behavior. And that's indeed interesting mm. to see. I'm just wondering right now, and this is going to be, I guess, probably speculation, but do you think that that could possibly be a product of the way that younger people have been educated about climate change? Have they been educated around what can you do about it? Of course. As opposed um, to, I'm wondering, in comparison to education about the use and role of protest mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, group mm -hmm. action. Could that maybe be a product of the way they have been educated? Because you said earlier that 
uh, younger people are the most educated generation mm -hmm. about uh, climate change. Have they been educated, I wonder, at an individual level? I mean, the main goal of uh, high school education or secondary school education in Switzerland is indeed to educate the young people to take part and take responsibility okay. of, uh, towards the environment, towards society and so on. And from this point of view, yes, there might indeed uh, be... Um, strong impact also from education on their on the participants but i mm. think it's yeah there are many different factors that are playing an important role as well so for instance we have contextual factors mm. um adding to that uh, we discussed that earlier um what about the weather so yeah. if you just or maybe if you just had a bad hangover that morning yeah. and you really wanted to go first but then yeah you were just too tired or whatsoever yeah. and then so um I really hope that education played at least some role, but um, we will have uh, deeper insight there um, mm. now with the main study that we're launching right now um, to find out more about really also the connection between the educational context and those climate strikes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so uh, you're doing that going forward from here? Yes. This so... There will be... The, this was kind of a pre-study, so we, mm -hmm. we want to see whether... yeah whether we can do something out of it. And now it's actually right now the starting point for the bigger um, for the bigger um, survey where we really try to broaden the sample. Not um, in the first survey, in the pretest, there were many, many high school students and those um, are about maybe 20% of the whole young people, mm -hmm. uh, of the young population. So we also want to cover um, young people that are maybe not, at, not in school anymore and um, that are working already. So we really try to get a more Presentative um, sample of young people and what they think about mm. it, and also about the role of um, group identity, of social mm. identity, of um, moral beliefs, um, mm. as, we, as I said before, and what role they play in participating in collective action efforts. Yeah. And you're going to roll this out across different cities around the world, I believe. We are um, rolling this across different, yeah, across different uh, countries at least. Mm. So we're trying to to set it up uh, in England as well, uh, in Sweden, and then hopefully also in, let's say, social social cultural uh, different countries such as Hungary has been discussed uh, with colleagues, mm -hmm. and so on to also find out more about what or if they perceive uh, climate strikes at all. And um, yeah, how these perceptions and views of young people on climate change and the climate strike movements dif differ between different countries and political and social cultural mm. contexts. Yeah. Do you have, obviously this is again pure speculation, but just very broadly speaking, do you expect or anticipate any major differences between different regions or do you expect it to be very similar or what do you think at this stage is going to happen? Yeah, I think um, there are indeed, or we hypothesize that there might be differences because of the different um, history, historical perspective on climate change, okay. for instance. So mm. if you compare the UK, which was actually the place where the whole industrial revolution started. And we can where, blame them, definitely. Yeah. So they might, they might feel uh, more guilt, for instance, compared mm. to, to a country like Switzerland, which is very small and only emits... Um, uh -huh. Let's say from a global perspective, okay. very little CO2, and we are having a lot of our energies coming from, um, yeah, renewable energies uh, such as yeah, okay. hydro hydropower and so on. So yeah. um, we are 
clean by nature, let's say, yeah. because we just have the mountains, so we're lucky. Also in Sweden here, we have different, um, yeah, different baselines when it comes to energy product. Produ yeah. production for instance so there might be differences due to that um if i relate if i relate that back to my home country we all well and truly know that we have a very large coal industry exactly and we all know it and i guess that must make a difference yeah yeah, yeah. and also i mean we for instance in switzerland we are among i think we're the second most frequent uh, flyers in Europe. Only only one other, I think the Dutch uh, might fly a bit more okay. than Swiss people. And so we're kind of, yeah, indeed, we're clean when it comes to energy production production and so on. But um, when You've it comes to- You've got the super high efficiency uh, CO2 production going there. Exactly, mm. exactly. So mm. um, that's kind of, yeah, how those, how those different sources, how the historical perspective is perceived and also whether, for instance, I mean, we have Greta Thunberg, which might have acted as a role model for many young people. And this might depend uh, between the countries. So, mm. for instance, here in Sweden, um, it might, she might not have had the same attraction um, around a person than in Switzerland or in mm. the UK, where, for instance, the Extinction Rebellion um, yeah. movement is uh, is having, yeah, is getting a lot of attention mm. and compared to Switzerland, where this movement is almost unknown, mm. for instance. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to explore and what we're going to see. And uh, hopefully we'll also explore things that we have not thought about. It yeah. Yet. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, to wrap this up, we're going to give you a magic wand. Right. Um, if you can uh, imagine a future where you are free to educate younger people in any way you could about climate science, mm -hmm. very loosely speaking, what would that look like? What sorts of things might you like to do? I'm a really big fan of um, of educating young people in a um, very research orientated, so by hands-on research, for instance. Okay. So if young people become to citizen science um, change agents, for instance, so that each class uh, in each school has one metrological station that they're okay. looking upon and they're caring for it they're cleaning it and so on they're managing the data um, things and so that they really can engage in also um, climate science but also that every school has a little school garden um, where the young people need to take care of the plants and so that they can develop a, a relationship to nature which uh, has probably been lost uh, in the last couple of okay. decades um, with urbanization and so on so that they really can also measure measure what those plants um, take in terms of co2 and what it's yeah what also yeah. it means to care about to care about plants and uh, where do your food comes from so yeah. reducing the distance Yes, reducing the distance and getting a more holistic view of the whole um, environment mm. and by really engaging and learning by doing um, not only research, but also kind of mitigation um, yeah. measures for mm. climate change and making it just normal to do so. Yeah, I think it all sounds fantastic, but particularly reducing the distance between the science, not just the impact or the outcome. Exactly. Sounds wonderful. Exactly. Okay, well... Um, I think we'll leave it there. Maurice Kubler, mm -hmm. thank you very much. If anybody wants to chase you down, um, yes. how can they reach you? 
You can find me on the internet, uh, you, my email address, so it's uh, Moritz with tz.kubler, G-U-B-L-E-R, at uh, phburn.ch. Mm. And in case you're interested, you can also write to John, to you, or then uh, to Maria, and you will, I think you will find me on the internet. Yes, I think so. Thank you very much. You're very much welcome. 